the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Yes, it is Monday, September 12th, 2022. Welcome back to Raging Chickens Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to, you know, progressives, activists, troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards from across the country. Before I go any further tonight, I'd like to wish my favorite expat, Stu Ross, a happy birthday. Yes, he's fighting the good fight in Derry, Northern Ireland, and now he's got a new king to slay. So <clears throat> here's to a great year, Stu, uh, even though he's probably well in bed by now. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's his birthday. Maybe he's out late. We'll see. He's also got three kids. <laughs> so um, you can join us at the end of the week, too, as well, for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You check out our once or twice monthly The Wednesday Show with Cyril Michaleko, the editor-in-chief of the Bucks County Beacon. You know, he joins me to drill down into Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and international politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean's iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support the show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress and become a patron today. I want to thank you to all the new YouTube subscribers. Uh, man, it's been uh, feeling the love lately. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining and becoming part of this community. You can help out the show right now by heading on over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for the show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time we go live. And you know what? It's also, we're seeing the uh, subscriptions and followers showing up on, on, on our podcast streams too as well. So look, if you got the time, you're on Spotify, you can check us on Spotify, you can check us on you know, uh, Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Podbean, where everything's hosted. Um, you know, and leave us a review. Give us that kind of five-star review. Um, leave us a little review. Tell us a little about why you like the show. And that helps other people find this show. Um, and it's just another way that you can help support the work that we're doing here um, and help support all the great people that are doing the work in our community. You can also jump on our Discord server. Info on that is in tonight's show notes. <clears throat> For more PA Progressive Talk, you can tune in to Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern, his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you're streaming, you're going to find him there. Um, make sure you subscribe to his podcast, too, as well. Um, find out all the information about Rick Smith Show by heading over to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out, if you haven't already, the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast, Rock the House. And you know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Attention all you gamers out there, The Game In, that's with two N's, The Game In is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show and they've got everything for Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And look, we're back to school, so uh, you know, they usually run the back to school special. Your kids get A's, they get a discount, you know, it's kind of a cool thing. 
Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at the Game In with two N's. If you got a question about a game, you're looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, as always, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at at Song of Dayman. That's at Song of Dayman on Twitter. And, you know, we've been through the ringer here in Bucks County. So, uh, you know, look, how about this? How about we don't let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community? Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small dollar, dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. That's ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Um, and so tonight, in today's show, uh, we've got kind of an open show tonight. Um, wanted to hear what's happening in your neck of the woods. Uh, if you want to hop in on uh, our chat, our live chat on YouTube, that's the best place to go. Um, I also put a link in there, too, if you uh, are kind of, you know, you think you might want to try to call into the show. Um, you got something to say. Uh, you got some comments. You got some questions. You got an announcement. Uh, put a link there that will kind of drop you into our audience on uh, Riverside.fm. And uh, we can take your questions and calls from there. Um, it's uh, we haven't done that in a while. Um, matter of fact, when uh, we first started doing the Out to, Coop, Out to Coop live show, we always had a call-in section of the show. And uh, frankly, what basically what happened was uh, we got fewer and fewer calls, but then our chat, like our YouTube chat, really picked up. So we just kind of concentrated on that rather than trying to kind of manage it something else. Um, but today, just thought to bring it back since, uh, you know, it's been a little chaotic here in the uh, Raging Chicken family um, and the Raging Chicken family. Uh, but but here, Raging Chicken, in part because, uh, you know, it's been back to school. Kids are back to school. I'm back to school. Um, you know, it seemed that there at the beginning of August, uh, if you recall, right at the beginning of August, uh, I was sick for a bit. And that took a while just to kind of get back up on my feet and then play catch up and get ready. So it was just kind of a kind of a chaotic August that uh, kind of flew by. And the uh, first two weeks of, of school have been, you know, have been going. Um, but, you know, I've been sitting, you know, just once again, sitting at the dinner table with my son tonight. And, uh, you know, and the conversation once again turned to like, why can't they make school better? <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that is, um, you know, I was somebody, it's funny because I was somebody, and I think, I think, uh, both my kids are very much like this too, as well Is like, um, uh, you know, there's a difference between liking to learn and being curious about the world and wanting to read and all this kind of stuff and liking school, right? Those are two different things. And, um, and I think to some degree, all kids, you know, are at, you know, at a point, especially in middle school and in the high school where you get really kind of frustrated with schooling. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I do think that the, you know, given the pandemic and then given the kind of, you know, the, you know, the craziness in our school boards, it kind of leaches into the, uh, the experience kids are having in school. 
And, you know, I mean, look, one of the things, for example, is like, you know, I, I constantly hear complaints, um, not just from my own kids, from some other kids, too, as well, who are just sick and tired of having like, you know, like Trump and kind of right wing and kind of racist stuff shoved down their throats. You know what I mean? Not by the teachers, you know, by some of the other kids in school. But then they hear that echoed from their from the school board. You know, and this is the year that, you know, I think I mentioned this on the show a couple of years ago or a couple of weeks ago that, you know, my son has actually started watching school board meetings and he's, you know, thinking once, you know, maybe he's got something to say at some of the school boards um, about <clears throat> some of the things that, you know, we should be paying attention to and should not be paying attention to. So it also occurred to me that, you know, one of the the long term effects of or I, I don't say effects, but long term like legacy effects or kind of um unintended effects of the push towards standardized testing and, um, you know, measuring everything through assessment and everything like this has turned school into a different kind of animal, certainly than from when I was young. Um, and by, look, when I was young, my school was by no stretch of the imagination was some kind of, you know, glorious, nostalgic place to be. Um, but it, it nonetheless has changed in character. And I do think the kids feel that, you know, I certainly know the teachers feel that. You know, I've told a story before about when um, there was these real strong pushes for high stakes tests and when schools were losing funding, if they didn't meet these kind of, you know, abstract, crazy measures. And um, I, I, there were students at Kutztown who were going to be teachers and they would go out in the field and they'd, they'd work for the first couple of years and they'd come back. And the guy who used to run the uh, secondary ed English program, his office is right next to mine. And I'd, so I hear some of these conversations and you know, these students that would come in, you know, sometimes literally in tears that they were so frustrated that they couldn't do what they were taught. Right. You know, in terms of what why they wanted to be a teacher and all the skills that they learned in school about like what they could do and even in their student teaching. But instead, we're just having these kind of like, you know, <sighs> This, this kind of standardized testing shoved down their throats every step of the imagination to the point where they didn't feel they had time for the basic, you know, kind of nurturance skills that you give, you know, kids that's part of your job as a teacher. So there's, there's you know, there's been a legacy to that. And frankly, that's been a bipartisan um, endeavor. I mean, yes, No Child Left Behind was where this stuff got first kicked off during the uh, George W. Bush regime. Um but it's only continued. And frankly, Democrats have um, often been, especially at the, at the federal level, have often been some of the uh, the worst proponents of these standardized testing uh, regimes. And we saw that certainly with the Obama administration, who actually, you know, if you talk to a lot of teachers, they he made the matters worse by relying more on this kind of like, you know, data centric um, testing as a, as a means by which to kind of find out what's happening in schools and to kind of, quote unquote, improve schools. I, mean, I think all the intentions were there. I think, the, look, frankly, I think the intentions were there to a certain degree with the George W. Bush um, administration, too, as well. Um, but that's a long ways away from the conversations that, you know, were so much a part of, of my life, you know, growing up in college and afterwards, what led me to a, a career in teaching and higher education was kind of thinking about what education could be and what education should be. Um, and it's sad, you know, to see all the stuff reduced to numbers. And there was a, a show on This American Life that was back in 2012. Um, it was called, I think I, I just sent it to my son. I said, hey, you know what? You should uh, you should really listen to this. It's really good. 
Um, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. It's uh, it's called Back to School, This American Life from um, September 14th, 2012. And, you know, again, you like anything on This American Life, there's going to be things that you're going to like, things you're not going to like. But uh, what I found was so interesting about this is, uh, you know, it starts with part of the story is about this guy from the Chicago School of Economics, uh, you know, which is the you know, Milton Friedman, right wing neoliberal kind of section of economics is basically going in and say, well, you know, if students can, you know, get a high school diploma in like a week of GED classes, why are they spending all this time in school? Certainly there must be a more efficient way of doing this. Um, and as he went on and studied the schools and asked if there was a question uh, about whether uh, kids really needed to be in school for that long. He found out that um, this, what mattered in schooling to basically determine success, right? And success is always this squishy term, right? Because he didn't just mean just money and success, but maybe quality of life, a whole bunch of other measures that they use. Um, and then he eventually couldn't answer it in economics. He brought in psychologists and kind of educational theorists and teachers and into this conversation. And they found out that the, the students who went and did their GED, right, still, even though if they did good on their GED, it doesn't matter, still performed at, um, at lower rates of success than students that, who completed their, um, uh, their high school. Um, in kind of traditional settings, right, in school. And so he has a big question, well, what's the difference, right? It's clearly, I mean, if it's about the content, if it's about the math skills, it's about the science skills, it's about, you know, um, the STEM stuff, you know, all these kind of particular things that are all measured by standardized tests. If it's about those skills, then they should be performing relatively equally, right? And they found out, nope, not at all. And what the conclusions this group, did this study came to was basically that it's the soft skills, right? It's the the skills that have to do with building relationships and trust and kind of um, working on problems together, that kind of stuff. And uh, hey, Nick, what's going on, man? Good to see you. <clears throat> and um, they uh, They also found out that, you know, those are the exact kind of skills, these quote unquote soft skills, what some people call them as soft skills. Hey, Emily, welcome, welcome. Um, people joining in in chat. And it turns out that those kind of skills, trust building, relationship building, um, collaborative work, um, you know, learning to negotiate differences and conflicts and differences, opinions and perspectives and all that kind of stuff. Those things are the hardest to measure on a standardized test. And the conclusions that this group is, it's been a while since I listened to it, but we're something along the lines of, you know, look, we're measuring the wrong stuff. And, be, and we're measuring the stuff that's easy to measure not the stuff that determines success or an educated human being or someone that is really um, capable of participating in kind of a democratic society, democratic culture. No, we're measuring the things that are easy to measure. And then we're changing the curriculum to teach to those skills that are easy to measure as opposed to the ones that are determined success, right? And it's fascinating to me. And like, you know, the conversation I was having with my son uh, at, at, at dinner tonight was, 
you know, I'll say, you know, look, there's, I remember, you know, the excitement that I had at one point in my life, you know, when I started researching like the, you know, the uh, Montessori schools and Rudolf Steiner schools, and then my dissertation in part was a big chunk of it, where I was looking at all these kind of alternative schools from, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of late 1800s, early 1900s that ran through the kind of mid 20th century that were labor colleges, that were labor schools, that were kind of like anarchist schools that were like, you know, these amazing spaces of learning, which were they were kind of opening up to kind of thinking, rethinking what it would mean to build a kind of a new world, like literally a new world, a new culture. Right. They echoed some of the things that we saw with John Dewey. Right. About, you know, this this split between mental and manual labor has got to be eradicated. Right. That, you know, hands on learning is so important and so on. And 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 other kinds of skills that are about community building. Right. All this promise of what schools could be. And, and in, a, in a sense, we've we've really, you know, we've really missed the boat on this one. And, I, you know, I tend to think that we have in, in schools and this is look, this is happening in higher education now, too, as well. Everything is about assessment and measurement and all this stuff. And they want us to these particular things to measure. And as much as people will say that we are not, you know, teaching toward the assessment. I've seen it happen. We're changing our syllabi. We're changing our curriculum. We're changing what we do in the classroom so that it fits these outcomes, right? That we put on the, for the assessment. We have to assess them, right? You know, and it just alters what I've always found is the most important thing to do in the classroom. Now, let me be clear by saying that, you know, I'm pushing back against these standardized tests and just thinking about like assessment, I'm not saying like, hey, anything just goes. No, tests are important, right? You know, kind of critical engagement is important, right? You know, these, you know, the kind of things that we do in a classroom basis that you're kind of, you know, grading students on kind of like how they're how they're covering the material or understanding material or kind of their, you know, what are the papers that they're writing or so on it makes total sense. But you're doing it so that it could get fed back into the classroom, right? Ways you can continue the discussions about this stuff. Not to go out to some sort of like, you know, for-profit institution to kind of hire a bunch of, you know, like assessors, whatever, on the for the weekend to go and quote unquote grade standardized tests and in order to spit it back to the schools when it's not even valuable anymore. It's like the next academic year in order to tell the, tell the teachers what they're doing right or what they're doing wrong. I mean, I'm all for like. We always had in my in my experience, I've always had discussions with other teachers about how to do our job better. What works, what doesn't work, all this kind of stuff. And that's all dynamic discussions. And we used to have some of these discussions even at Kutztown. And a lot of that's just been replaced by, well, the, the, the meeting time that we normally had to have these discussions. Now we're having discussions about outcomes and assessment. So I, I don't know. So I've been thinking about, you know, those other kinds of alternative schools and stuff. And I was saying to my son tonight, it's like the shame of it all is that, you know, places like the Montessori school, Rudolf Steiner schools, all these ones, they're only the rich can afford them. Right. All these things about, you know, hands on learning and so on are just are kind of not there. Now, I have to say, you know, I I, I saw, you know, we, I got to visit my my kid's school. And uh, and some of their STEM their STEM stuff, they're doing some really freaking cool stuff. I have to say, when you get down to the teacher level, 
right? Especially when um, they're not completely strapped into like pegging everything to standardized tests. Um, man, it's, you know, this is like this kind of amazing situation, like this amazing STEM class where they're doing all sorts of really cool stuff, right? And you want that, you know, all students to have access to that. Right. I mean, learning like next generation technologies about, you know, how to basically you just got these like a fish in the classroom and the fish that like, you know, they 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 pee and they poop in the water. And that goes on to fertilize these plants. Right. And they're growing these plants, they're actually producing like edible plants in this class. Right. With no waste. Right. I mean, things like that, I mean, are just are, 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 are amazing. But then you're, you're looking at, you know, and my son will bring this up a lot, too, as well. We'll talk about what they do in Finland, right? You know, you know, kids aren't going to school for eight hours a day, you know, preparing them for some industrial job someplace, right? Kids, no matter whether they're going to go on to, like, you know, I don't know, whether they're going to go on and kind of study, go, go to college, or whether they're going to kind of, you know, kind of, you know, work in a, a like a... a you know, on a farm, whether they're going to work in, you know, garden, so whatever it might be, right? But at their school, right, they're, you know, there's all this free time. And they don't have homework, <laughs> right? They study for 45 minutes and they go outside, even in the snow. It blew my mind when I, when I came down here in Pennsylvania that, like, kids, I don't know if this is true at all schools, but, like, I was blown away that when it snowed, the kids were not allowed to go outside. That blew my mind. But then, like in Finland, they do this stuff, and Finland also has performs, at if not the top every year, towards the top, right at the top, on these kind of international measurements of kind of you know like comprehensive education, right? So those kids aren't strapped with homework every night, and they don't have, frankly, parents going said that we got to get our kids. My kids are super smart. My kids are super smart. Like uh, so, my kids. Let's do what's for my kids. What about the school? What about the school as a whole? Anyways, I did not even intend to talk about this, <laughs> but it's pretty crazy. <clears throat> it's just nuts. Um, I do want to give here. Hold on, I want to um <clears throat> give this anything that's on your mind. Please drop it in the trees. Drop drop it in chat. If you want to try the um, you know, the call in, uh, let me know. That'd be that'd be great. Um, uh, yeah, that's right, Emily. Uh, Finland does pay its teachers really well. Um, <clears throat> they pay their teachers well. They treat their teachers like professionals and kind of like valued members of society. And this country, we kind of rat on them, right? And you ask me, it's because, you know, at the very core, we are not interested in everybody being educated. We're, we're like, you know, and this is true, Democrats, Republicans alike, right? And sometimes it's even Democrats even more have bought so far into this meritocracy nonsense, right? That the cream rises to the top, work hard, you succeed. And like, yeah, you deserve everything that you get. <clears throat> Because you worked hard and those measurements that you do well on prove that you're, I mean, come on, come on. We know it's money that drives this country. All this other, you know, a meritocracy is just a rationale for going and justifying the elite nature of our culture. <clears throat> it's nuts. Nick also said, yeah, I also like the idea that the classroom is the only is only the only classroom when you mentioned about not going uh, not being allowed to go outside, that the classroom is the only classroom, right? The only place where you learn. <clears throat> True enough. 
Um, here, let me just pull, I gotta pull something up. I accidentally closed the tab um, and I didn't wanna do that. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Kirsten kind of uh, dropped me a note earlier when I heard this was going to be open phones tonight. Um, so uh, Indivisible, um, Indivisible in the PA1, Bucks County, right, has got a postcard effort, um, has got a postcard effort going on. Um, let me tell you the details of it in just a second. Um, and I'll put a link, copy this. You're going to drop a link right in tonight's link for... Bucks in, or what else? I'll put PA01. PA, that's what she put. 01 indivisible. <clears throat> Postcard <clears throat> event. <clears throat> and there it is. Um, just so here, here we go. It's uh, for the postcard writers, bands off our bodies postcards. Now, polling shows, I'm just going to read from the websites for those folks who are listening, you want to check it out. Polling shows that when voters find out about Biden, uh, Brian Fitzpatrick's anti-choice stance, they are far more likely to vote for his opponent. That's why we're sending postcards to more than 20,000 infrequent Bucks County voters. Uh, we need your help in writing them. Fill out the form below. If you click on that link that I put in tonight's show notes, um, or that I put in tonight's chat, I should say, I'll try to remember to drop it in tonight's show notes too as well. Um, you fill out that form from that link. Um, um, it'll get you right there. And each packet, you're going to figure out, how to get a, they're going to get a packet to you, and each packet contains 60 postcards and mailing labels, plus clear instructions on messaging, postage, and mailing. If you wish to donate postage and then mail the postcard yourself, great. If not, we'll take care of it. Um, that's the easy activity, and you could do it right from the comfort of your own home. Um, and uh, fantastic, right? 60 postcards. Uh, 240 of 500 slots are already filled. Um, I'd love to see um, other folks sign up for there too as well. Matter of fact, um, <clears throat> yep, I'm doing that right now. Yep, so here we go. I'm signing up right now. Are you signing up right now? You're taking a moment. Have you signed up already? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign up. This is how quickly it takes. Okay. I'm going to go. Just need your name. Will I donate postage? It asks you if you're going to donate postage or not. That's it. Your name, your email, your uh, phone number, whether or not you'll donate postage, and then click sign up and boom, you're done. All right. That easy. <clears throat> so there you go. Um, so if you want to sign up for that too, as well, that would be, um, absolutely fantastic. Uh, thank you, Kirsten, for even saying that. Um, if, uh, Kirsten, if you are on and you are listening and you want to try to kind of drop, drop in and say a couple words, that'd be awesome. Um, I think, hold on a second. Uh, let me see what we got here. I'm showing that we've got somebody in the, nope showing that there's two people so somebody might be jumping on um and we'll, we shall see if that works great if not then we'll uh we'll try something else let me know um <clears throat> let me know who's ever uh, if somebody is trying to call in and you're having some issues with it um please let me know and i'll see if i can fix it and we can send another link okay so there's that. So I'm just curious, you know, what else has been going on? And, you know, look, I apologize. I want to say um, yet a, another in a, a whole string of apologies that. Um, <clears throat> here. Oh, OK. Hold, I see what's going on. Thank you, Nick. Uh, let me go ahead and. It says it's not live yet. OK, we're going to go ahead and do this and see if that works. 
Uh, that's probably what it was. Okay. <clears throat> yep, 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 yep. I think that was it. Um, but anyways, the, uh, the idea here is that... Um, Oh, I was going to say my apologies. Sorry um, that a couple of people have messaged me say, hey, could you do me a favor? Can you help me get this out? Or uh, what do you think about this and passing some things on to me? And I've got to confess that it uh, certainly um, has I've been not as tuned in to what's happening in the social media world or even the kind of like even broad based political world for the past uh, couple of weeks getting school up and running. It's just I've I've had to dig in and make sure that I was getting off to a decent start for this year. Um, <clears throat> there's that. Um, I was also, you know, realizing how close it is to our uh, to the elections. Right. Because. Um, let me see what's going on here. Yeah, um, and because of the elections, uh, I had, you know, like I'm, I'm judge of elections in my precinct and uh, had to have the, the form to the Board of Elections by last past Friday. Uh, that really snuck up on me. Plus, the originally thing got delivered to the wrong address, which that was always that issue. Um, but, yeah, things are coming up quick. Uh, things are coming up really quick. So we shall see. Um what else is happening in, um, out there, everybody? Anything um, interesting happening in your neck of the woods? Curious, going to pull this up. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but uh, I have, well, I'm going to probably alienate a bunch of people now, but uh, it is what it is. Um, uh, yeah, the Queen of England's dead. Right? She died. She passed on. And yes, you know, um, I understand and I could appreciate, you know, like, you know, this incredible life that she, all the things that she saw in her life and all that. But, you know, I can also appreciate <laughs> the idea that, you know, yes, during this period of time, it was also uh, some brutal going on, goings on in the uh, in the uh, British Empire. Like, let's recall that, uh, you know, England's or Britain still kind of uh, was a major colonial power, still ruled over India until after she was, was the queen. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's the kind of thing for the same reason that I'm, I don't like, you know, I'm not an Obama worshiper. I'm not like a royal worshiper. Right? I just like, you know, I, I've never been really big on kind of celebrity culture. It's not been my thing. Um, and and frankly, while I can. I can appreciate, I guess, to some level, the historical context of the British family or the royal family and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, really, I mean. I don't know. And now there's a king and I just can't I can't justify the amount of coverage that is going <laughs> to covering like you know like every look it's one thing if you're in england it's one thing if you are you know there and that's your country and that's part of what you're going on but you know to watch the you know practically wall-to-wall -wall coverage uh kind of in this country is is something is something crazy um and and i know look people you know 
people think what they think, right? And I, I, there's the majesty and the pageantry and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I just come back to the thing like, you know, I kind of said this on the podcast on Friday too as well, but, you know, the idea that, you know, you you rule through this bloodline and you why the bloodline is important is because it was endowed by God for you to have rule over there and justify the massive expenditure to kind of maintain and prop up this kind of like super wealthy, uber wealthy, rich life. Um, and for the purpose of what seems to me to be kind of like nostalgia is a little bit hard for me to stomach. Right? So um, pretty crazy. Nick just says uh, in other news as Bucks, ca- uh, the Bucks canceled lunch debt coalition won over $20,000 in lunch debt cancellation. Um, WHYY has got a piece on it. Um, yeah, if you can, Nick, if you want to drop a link in the chat, I'll bring it up um, to talk about. It. That'd be fantastic. Um, congratulations to the folks on the Bucks Cancel Lunch Debt Coalition. Uh, you remember uh, we had Nick on the show a while back and he talked a little bit about this. Um, $20,000 in lunch debt cancellation. Um, congratulations to everybody who's been putting that effort in. Um, you know, that's like another thing, right? Okay, if, you know, you want everybody to have equal education and, you know, everybody should be fed too, right? And most teachers will tell you, right, if you want to know uh, the greatest determiner of how well a student's going to do in class, tell them your zip code, right? Because poverty is a greater kind of determinant of, uh, like, educational quality um, or educational advancement or attainment, if you will how well they'll do in school and how far they'll go in education um, because why because yes because they're hungry they're poor poverty is it's not like your you know teachers test scores it's the kids are hungry and they live in difficult environments because of poverty because we've decided that that's the kind of society that we're going to live in Yes, uh, Senator Lindsey Williams uh, said she's going to introduce a free universal uh, universal meals in PA. Um, that would be fantastic um, to see that. I know that there's been several um, state legislatures that uh, legislators, excuse me, that have uh, been pushing for universal meals. Um, you have Governor Wolf also. Nick says uh, recently announced universal meals in October for all students. Um, this is something that we can do and have a measurable impact um, on, on our kids' lives. And I talked about this on the show at one point, too, as well. I was like, that was one of the things that was remarkable during COVID, right? Is that once you take, like, the payment of lunch off the, like, off the table, right? Once you no longer need to, uh, you know, separate the kids out, but whether, you know, are they getting, ooh, are they getting uh, a, a free lunch, Oh, because they're poor, right? You take the stigma away and you just say, hey, lunch, anybody who wants it, any kid needs it who's hungry, you can have lunch. No questions asked. We're not going to kind of ask you to submit a tax form. We're not going to ask you to kind of sit there and, you know, uh, show and prove to us that you're poor and then be shamed in the lunch line when you can't, that your your little like debit account like runs out of money. No, just kids are kids. And if they're hungry and they need food, let them go get the food. How awesome is that? And I also say that, you know, (laughs) this is one of the things I've said before, is that you want to talk about that kind of lunch program as something that is kind of, you know, people want to look at that as just kind of like a a, a give out, right? It's an expenditure. 
And yet, if you have just an ounce of creativity, right, you could turn that into a driver of, say, community stability, uh, community-based stability, right? So, for example, right, instead of partnering with, like, I don't know, like, you know, I don't know, name your kind of like mass distribution of frozen foods to lunches, lunch or, or, or schools place, Cisco systems, right? You know, that kind of thing. What if you partnered with local farmers? What if you partnered with people that are producing things locally? Right? Because you recognize that family farms and smaller farms are hurting. So imagine if those local smaller farms, right, were a guaranteed, you have a guaranteed buyer every single year to supply your milk, right? I mean, even if it's, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, right now, the way that our, our food systems are set up, there's no way that you're going to be able to supply everything, but you can supply quite a bit. I look at the hydroponics experiment going on in uh, in my kid's middle school, right? Imagine if you expanded that, you actually, you know, you had all these kind of like empty fields, which are just grass sucking up water and, you know, kind of doing nothing for the environment. What if you actually turned some of that kind of like open grassland into gardens and incorporated that within kind of the education, right? where some of the kids with their teachers and the community could actually kind of participate in kind of maintaining those gardens. Imagine the kind of joy kids would get out of the fact that like, oh my God, and now we're going to have a harvest day. Oh, harvest day, what? Yeah, and we're going to have fresh greens. We're going to have fresh food that's coming out of the stuff that we planted. You know, all this kind of stuff. And then what if you said, okay, you've got a... There's a problem, you know, something here that the that we planted this stuff and everything died. That becomes a science experiment. Things like that. I mean, you know, this is not hard. It's about will, you know. I hate to keep on a harpet on this, but like what my you know, my you know, something my son said tonight too as well. He's like, look, he's like they're doing all these things. And he was talking about standardized testing and the kind of you know, so you know, whatever. So a whole bunch of stuff. Um is that if they know that other models work and they work better, why don't they just do it, right? And I can remember the time when I, I was asking the same question. I said almost the identical thing when I was like, you know, like his age and a little bit older, like just kind of like, I don't understand it. Because, you know, I still believed that back back then, it, you know, until, I mean, relatively recently, I mean, not like last year, but that, you know, hey, it's not for lack of knowledge. It's not for a lack of kind of understanding. It's a lot. It's not for a lack of alternative models that work better. All those are there. We have the knowledge. We have the kind of the resources. We have the proof. We have the study. We have all that kind of stuff that shows us what we're doing in our schools is not the best way forward. The only thing that's lacking is the will and the politics. That's it. And if you think about it, that, that really gets to the heart of the matter. It's like in this country, we have like more wealth is produced in this country than 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 any place. The only thing that stands between us being a nation that is kind of lifts up everyone and it kind of creates an entirely like amazing future 
for everybody is our will, right? And I, I mean, our in this, you know, in the way that our political systems are set up, the way the capitalism is, is set up, the way that our kind of, you know, ideological infrastructure is set up, all that kind of stuff. So at some level, you know, I, I was reminded tonight when I was talking to him, it was like, you know, they're really so a lot of these solutions really are simple. We make them more complicated than they need to be. And we justify it through all this kind of, you know, ideological infrastructure. You know, and this is where, you know, I, I you know, I think when. That was one of my biggest disappointments about, you know, say the Obama administration is to see the reliance upon these, you know, data, like specific kinds of data driven discussions, right? That as if everything could be reduced to a spreadsheet. And I'm the last person in the world that is going to tell you that we don't need data. No, we need good, hard data. That's absolutely true. Um, and uh, but you know we'd like to actually do some more hey i've got uh i've got nick on the line nick uh can you Hello. hear me hey yes i you, can man. all right how are you? all right excellent <laughs> look at that what's Ooh. going on man a long time no here how you doing yeah i know doing good um sorry that we haven't like chatted in forever honestly it feels oh like. dude i've I been mean... like i've been uh <laughs> i mean i've been following your stuff and i get your like you'll yeah. shoot me an email every once in a while and i'm like i'm just like oh man i was no but then I, you know with all this kind of stuff but uh yeah so that's okay, pretty well. good news about what's going on with yeah. the uh uh the the lunch debt cancellation yeah no it definitely is um i i, I definitely wanted to uh jump in what was it uh what was it that you said? Uh, oh, of like the political will, right? Because yeah. um, that, that's sort of what it makes me think, you know, with this situation in particular um, and just of how like we do that and just of how, uh, you know, we could just in this country make sure that every single, you know, kid that goes to school has a free breakfast, free lunch, you know, whatnot. Right. Because, you know, we already know, you know, in terms of education, that that is a huge driving factor into, you know, how kids learn into, you know, how kids, you know, might perform on, you know, annoying standardized the test assessments and, you know, so on, you know, but just like, you know, of how they actually live too, right? Like, you know, we want to make sure that kids are healthy because you don't know where they're getting their next meal for some of them. Right. And, you know, we shouldn't have that stigma. We shouldn't have that shame. And, you know, we can remove all of that by actually, you know, providing it to every single child, um, you know, through doing that. And, you know, the other piece of political will, too, is, you know, part of the reason and why, you know, this got canceled or, you know, whatnot, really, you know, we had folks who showed up to a school board meeting, show up to school board meetings, bring this up They're like your own school district can cancel their lunch debt. Like, it, you know, it, it was just free the past basically like two years. And now it, it's set to be free again for, you know, every kid come October through the end of the year. So, you know, call on them, tell them, you know, they need to cancel this debt. You know, why is any single, you know, like child or, you know, parent in debt for like school lunches? What what do they cost? Like, you know, a couple dollars? Like that, that, that's nothing in the grand scheme of things. And as I put in the chat too, you know, what are the budget hawks going to say it's inflationary to cancel school lunch debt? Yes, they will. Go, go right yes, ahead. If, if you, <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's, you know, it's its own funny thing. 
Um, but, but yeah, so I don't know, just, just with that stuff, you know, definitely as I'll just like plug and say, you know, if, if folks at all are interested in some of the stuff that like we had done and are interested in doing it within their own school district, um, you can, you know, either reach out to myself, um, at Nicholas R. Marcel at gmail.com or more easily if you just reach out to like us collectively at no lunch debt at gmail.com um you know be happy to you know chat and you know help you and you know trying to fight against this because it th this debt does not have to exist the same with student debt the same with medical debt um, so on and so forth. And thank you, Emily. I, I just now see your uh, thing in the chat because I'm just like on the Riverside thing. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. With, with that and then also like on, on Pashi news of the, no the consolidation, horrific, and like the um, the sort of continuous problems with it uh, on a variety of different levels. I just like continue to be like, wow, yep, we went down this path. Not, not we willingly, but we forced to do so thanks to uh the almighty chancellor right well and i look i look at it like this and uh you know i've said this on the show for the past several weeks is that you know our our contract negotiations are coming up here so there's an opportunity as i see it at least there's an opportunity to really um turn the spotlight on what's been what's been happening and again when i say opportunity i don't mean i don't mean to kind of like you know paint a happy face on this and say like, oh, it turns out that it's actually a good thing, right? No, it's not. Um, it's a really, it's really horrific what's going on, uh, what's been going on with the Pashi. And I've heard, you know, I start, you know, people talk and I hear a lot about what's been going on at some of the quote unquote consolidated universities. And uh, it's not pretty. It's not pretty for students. It's not pretty for uh, faculty members. Uh, lots of faculty members have lost their jobs. Programs are having difficulty staying afloat and kind of um, managing it. Um, but, you know, Pashi, that out of the chancellor's office, certainly has got a, uh, a great PR campaign going for itself um, to try to, like, paint everything in rose-colored glasses, you know, through rose-colored glasses to say that this is all going to work out for the best. And, uh, you know, it's not exactly clear. And I have to say, um, our kind of uh, new old president um, of ABSCUF, the faculty union, Ken Mash, um, he was recently at Kutztown. And one of the things that he said is like, look, you know, it's at some level, the, you know, the chancellor made a decision that he's going to do whatever it takes to get Pashi, get Pashi more money um, by appealing to those Republican legislators who are in, are in, a, in a situation to um, kind of give that money. And but the cost is that you destroy, you know, a good chunk of the system. And, you know, I'm still I'm still waiting. I'm still convinced that, you know, uh, Chancellor Greenstein, this has been uh, that we're going to see. I'm sure he's already writing his book um, about the success of transformation um, in higher education. And I'd love to see some of the people that are going to collaborate with him on that um, discussion. Um, so because there's always collaborators when we have this uh, this kind of thing, uh, people that I think that some other folks would not necessarily expect. But, you know, so uh, that's where we're going to be. We're going to find out that um, we're going to find out that uh, we're going to push things are going to get are going to come to a head um, during these negotiations. Um, faculty are going to have to make a decision about whether or not they're going to strike um, if if push comes to shove. And um, and frankly, 
the, the the concerning part is, of course, a lot of faculty are as demoralized as um, you know as students have been, as a lot of us have been. Um, so it's going to be an uphill battle. Um, but nonetheless, it's like you know we've done it before, and we proved that we can strike and we can be successful in strike. We do organize this good stuff. Um, so we should. So Emily, the strike we're not even we haven't even begun negotiations yet. Our contract doesn't go doesn't end until. Uh, 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 June 30th, 2023. So negotiations have just formally begun, like by filling out the kind of the announcement. The, there's, a, there's a timeline where you have to first meet and so on. So Emily was asking, when is the strike vote? So we yeah. wouldn't know something like that in, until well into negotiations. So it wouldn't be until, I, I, I would assume, um, not until uh, 2023 or so. But it's we're going to start seeing stuff come out. Um, and, you know, well, we're going to see also, a focus turn here. Go ahead, and Nick, and also to Emily's other. No, you were fine. I just saw Emily's other question. and wanted to answer it. Yeah, of like stu uh, School student lunch debt relief. No, that does not affect colleges and universities. I know that there was um, sort of the recent. Um, uh, why can't I remember what it was called? I, I went to Harrisburg to sort of fight on behalf of it of uh, through um, hunger free campus, uh, like the hunger free campus bill and such and getting money in regards to that to help resource pantries and such at um you know different you know universities throughout pennsylvania um now i i will say though i, I find it interesting i've been uh you know doing some canvassing and uh, recently talked with someone who you know i had you know mentioned because uh, i think i was wearing my westchester university hat and you know had mentioned oh yeah like you know i went to westchester and such and you know this kid who was um like 17 and was like, oh, yeah, some of my friends, you know, go there. And he was like, you know, but it, it is crazy. You know, and it was making me think of the intersection of a lot of these like kinds of debts. But is uh, he was like, you know, some of my friends, you know, like they're people that they had like free introduced lunch when they went to you know school. And now when they go to X university like Westchester, you know, the meal plans cost like so much money. And it's, right. you know, just kind of that whole thing of where, you know, students you know, it, it's hard for them to get food, you know, not not only are certain areas, I, I would argue, like semi food deserts, you know, like from even, you know, my time at Westchester University of like trying to even get to like a grocery store without, you know, trying to take the off campus shuttle thing that irregularly ran, um, you know, so that's its own interesting thing. And then, you know, additionally, off of what you were saying with the chancellor, I mean, I, 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 I would even semi disagree that he's like trying to get more money because as i've somewhat tweeted out with like um sort of the pashy defenders account like you know the, the the like the increase that he's gotten yes or i i wouldn't even say he's the one who's gotten it to an extent but the increase that has you know been acquired um is barely anything to what we used to even have like back when patchy was founded in terms of like e even roughly equating like the same number of students or even less students you know back in like you know the mid 1980s we had probably like five to ten thousand less students than what we have now and yet we had probably over a hundred million maybe over 200 million dollars more in today's like dollars so it like it's it's just kind of its own thing. Like, are are you really? And then also, you know, he he's not doing anything at least to what I see and explicitly said so to fight for free public higher ed. You know, myself and some other folks who you know had did some of the Pashy Defender stuff. We went to his um, open forum thing at Westchester University, and I, I tossed it in uh, the Riverside chat because I can't toss it in the you know other one. But I had written um, a piece uh, about like us you know, sort of, you know, 
protesting it and or asking questions um, and such because, you know, I, I had myself and some other students hold up signs with the amount of student debt that they had. Um, you know, some other folks asked some really good questions. You know, one girl specifically who I have no clue who she was, she she decided to like share that she was like, I am, you know, an early grades prep major. I'm going to have to go into debt and I'm not going to make much of, you know, any money you know, doing this, like, and she started crying. And like, this was like, you know, a freshman, like, I think at like, Westchester, you know, who she decided to share this, you know, because th this is the point where so many students are at that it's it like, it's just insane. And the fact that the chancellor literally said that he is doing nothing to advocate for free public higher education is insulting to students, it's insulting to faculty, it's insulting to staff. Because if and you know just pennsylvania in general in our communities because do you not want people to get an education it doesn't seem like it or you just want to be able to pick and choose who does well i look at it like this like i mean first of all i should be really clear when i say that he's got you know when he, he's got he sacrificed these things to get more money for um for for Pashi, i mean this in the in the most cynical kind of politically expedient way Right. That, you know, now he has got a political talking point that he'd say, I because we did these, we made the hard choices. We were able to get this money that Pashi needed. Right. That's I mean, that's that was the move. Right. There's no there's no doubt exactly kind of what you said in terms of actually fully funding the state system to get us back to anywhere near um, to where we were even even like 10, 15 years ago. Right. I mean, if you look at the, you know, the 1990s is when we saw there was like this meeting point in the funding of Pashi, where in 1990s was when uh, the state was contributing about the same amount that families and students were contributing to their cost of education. Of course, in 1983, when the state system was first founded, um, you know, the state was contributing, uh, you know, above. Uh, Above sixty-five percent of the uh, of the total cost, where where families were contributing about twenty-five percent, and there was some other stuff that was coming in, and, and now that's completely flipped. Now you're talking about seventy-five percent of the costs are being borne by students and their families, and you know twenty-five percent or under is coming from the state. And so you know, yeah, you okay, great. You know, in the scheme of things, you know, if you want to measure it, okay, you yes, you gave us, you got us more money. But even if you go back to the Corbett regime, right, when 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 Corbett made all the deep cuts, cut the state system by. 18% when all was said and done, really 20% at some of the universities depend, you know, it was a little bit different in terms of how it, how it played out, say, say between 18 and 20%, just to keep it fair. Um, we haven't recovered from that. Right. So, I mean, you know, he can say whatever he's going to say. And of course, if you if, if you choose your beginning point, right, you choose the, your point of departure of how you measure something, right, you could tell all sorts of cool stories. Right. I mean, you know, uh, you know, it, it's crazy. You know, I woke up this morning and I said, let there be light. And sure enough, in about 20 minutes, there was light. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, come on. I've got if I can forget history and put it behind us, pretend that I'm magic and that I'm, you know, the most charismatic individual in the world like he does. Well, then there you go. This is this is where we end up. And, so. and also it makes me think, and I know, uh, Kevin, you and I had talked about this, and I, I think you've even written about it um, before, but with the uh, what sort of used to be of the PA Student Power Network. Uh, of, gonna, you know, the next that, point I was going to make, yep. Right, because, because it makes me think of, you know, that, that own history, which, you know, I, like, unfortunately is not there as much, um, like, to, to a certain extent, but you know, it is some of the pressure, which I would argue, you know, you could say caused, you know, tuition freezes 
and you know 100%. why that it has still like been the thing but you know of who's trying to take the credit for it the chancellor or the board of governors 100 you know and that's why i you know i explicitly had made comments and i i definitely urge others i know it can be you know its own like anxiety thing but make comments at these board of governors meetings make comments at your council of trustees meetings and just say that you know you, you have frozen tuition these past you know four years, and we keep talking about the inaffordability of higher education. If you actually care about this, you shouldn't just be freezing tuition. You should be decreasing it and ultimately eliminating it because there is no reason at a public higher education institution why it should cost money. We have had times in history where it has not. So we can go back to that. It's just about, as you said earlier, the political will. Go ahead of what you were going to say, though, with the no, PhD because like, you know more than I do. No, this is the exact kind of thing. It's like, you know, that those of us who worked with the PA Student Power Network for four years um, to kind of build that organization from the you know, help build that organization from the ground up, um, you know, just by connecting students with other students, right, or faculty, you know, or at, at different campuses. And and then, you know, to like, you know, James Hersonsky and a whole bunch of people that were kind of instrumental in actually getting that uh, getting that um, kind of up and running at a statewide level as they were the ones who were pushing. I mean, who put it on the agenda about free college tuition, who showed up at the Board of Trustees meeting, who showed up at the Board of, board of Governors meeting and were really putting on the pressure. And that helped bolster other arguments. Again, it's the same thing we've been saying on the show for in everything this is how it works right direct action gets the goods right direct organization collective action gets the goods the thing was the other the other caveat we got to say with the pa student power network right it also goes to show is like this is what happens when we become our own worst enemies right and by we i mean you know different factions within the progressive movement is because the pa student power network was just beginning to exercise its power when Internal factions, <laughs> right, got in arguments over who gets to kind of like be the point person on this. And then it led to the downfall of the organization. You know, this is like, you know, but this is the story of the left over and over again um, that, that you know, that we can't afford, we cannot afford kind of going forward. So that's got what I want to add to that. So, but, you know, I also want to kind of like take a few minutes here just to take to take a look at um, what's, you know, all this stuff is connected in my mind. Right. You know, if we're going to have any chance whatsoever of, you know, fixing the problems in 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 public education of like changing the direction of the way that we fund higher education, you know, I mean, keeping, you know, Pennsylvania as a kind of right to abortion state, you know, things like this, a lot is riding on this election in just over 50 days. Right. And, you know, people have heard me talk about, you know, how I'm nervous about some things. Um, I, I just want to give you uh, give you some of the latest from uh, Real Clear Politics and look at some of the polling data of what's happening in these races. Um, if we start just with the Senate race, Right. If we're looking at Oz versus Fetterman right now, Fetterman was up, you know, double digits for quite some time. And now uh, RCP, uh, Real Clear Politics, now has this as a toss up. Right. Um, and yes, on average, Fetterman is still maintaining a six point five percentage point lead 
Um, but so, you know, those those big numbers of you know what we saw, like Frank at a Marshall poll from uh, middle of of August had Fetterman up by thirteen. You've had other polls that are coming in um, closer to four percent. The Emerson poll comes in at four percent, which is about a week week after that one. Susquehanna poll, which leans a little bit more conservative, um, has Fetterman about five percent. So we're seeing kind of a really really tight race um, in what is happening. Um, uh, what is happening here? I also want to get to here. Let me just jump down to the the governor's race. Um, we're looking at you know Doug, the kind of Christian nationalist fascist uh, against uh, Mastriano against Josh Shapiro, and you know by any kind of like sane measure, um, Josh Shapiro should be just completely running away with this race. But the way that our you know our politics work now, that's not the case. I mean. Good news is, is that, you know, the uh, Real Clear Politics still has Shapiro up by about six percentage points. Um, um, but, you know, if you if you look at the the outliers, you have Emerson coming in with Shapiro with only a three percentage point um, lead, while you have uh, Franklin and Marshall had Shapiro at 11 points. So, you know, you've got that range. And now why do I bring this up? It's like, well, I mean, I mean, for obvious reasons for here, but what I keep on saying is that, I, especially when in Shapiro's case, Shapiro really makes me nervous in the way his campaign has been ha, has been running. Um, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen in the polling data. There was a there was a, a, a huge rally down in Montgomery County uh, yesterday um, that actually we came about this close to going to. Um, we were literally on to go, but then my my son was not feeling well and my wife was not feeling great, and we did our COVID test and they were negative, but we were just a little bit concerned, so we didn't up doing that um but but anyways but the point was uh, my uh, from some of the numbers like close to two thousand people were getting down to show up for that rally which is pretty freaking amazing um i don't know if my numbers are off there or somebody else might be able to tell me um, um tell me otherwise but we'll see what the numbers are going to look like after this what do polls tell us well they give us a bit of information but uh we also know that um these polls are not measuring um, non-traditional voters, right? Um, and there is a, uh, there has been strong support of Mas from uh, in Mastriano's camp of some of the most kind of kind of most extremist sections in our uh, well-organized extremist parts of our politics. Um, and I don't believe that the polls are going to catch all those folks. Um, on the flip side of that. That doesn't mean doom and gloom, um, because frankly, I think that the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade has uh, just underscored the stakes um, for Democratic um, candidates. Um, but I would say for the broad kind of progressive left Democratic, you know, that whole non-Republican <laughs> like coalition, if you will, people who would, who would come out potentially to vote for Democrats. Um, I think that that's mobilized people in ways that um, that I, I don't think people expected either. So, you know, I guess it's more of a, a keep doing what we're doing, <laughs> um, making sure that, you know, people are going out um, and continuing to support the candidates um, that are, are at the local level, too, as well. It's absolutely critical that we're supporting local candidates that are going to help kind of turn the PA Assembly or the PA Senate blue. That That's a, a really, I'll be honest, it's a really, like, that's an enormous ask, right, on hope to think that we can actually turn those things. But by 
removing the large margin from the Republicans right now is going to be absolutely critical. And we got to ensure that, you know, God forbid Doug Mastriano gets elected governor of the state, that we maintain um, a uh, the ability to uh, um, kind of, you know, cause havoc, <laughs> basically, um, in the state, because we have to do that. And on the flip side of that, we have to ensure that if Shapiro is elected, right, that we don't kind of hand over like uh, a, a, uh, a larger majority to Republicans to override any veto, right? Because right now, the only thing like Governor Tom Wolf, right, the Democrat, de Democratic governor of Pennsylvania, Governor Tom Wolf was the only thing standing between, um, you know, a protection of a broad kind of sloth of rights, including voting rights, including kind of reproductive rights right across the board um, and our kind of dystopian future, which we're kind of seeing unfold um, kind of day by day. Why? Well, because he had a veto and the Republicans, Republicans couldn't override it. Right. That's it. And frankly, that's not, you know, that's not very comforting. So, um but there's that. I wish we had, uh, you know, uh, if anybody's familiar with kind of polling that's going on in more local lives, I'd love to see some of this stuff. But I think we're going to see that a little bit later. So not not that, but I'll just mention just from some of the canvassing that I've been doing as of late that, like, you know, I have talked to some folks who, you know, definitely, you know, abortion rights, reproductive rights, you know, have, are, you know, big reason of why they are sort of voting, you know, whether it is, you know, some folks that I've even talked to that are registered Republican and are, you know, switching for this upcoming election, yep. um, you know, just on that issue, which I'm not necessarily surprised. Um, but also, you know, comes the thing of, you know, for some of the folks who I've talked to of, you know, what what is it that, you know, the Democrats are like offering besides that, like to a certain extent, or like how much further are they actually going you know, to, you know, make sure that, you know, things are better uh, in like in, in any sense of the word, um, you know, because it can be, you know, good to just play defense. But then, you know, in what way are you actually making sure, you know, the ball moves forward? Right. And um, I think that's where, you know, that's where by, you know, continuing to kind of push to elect more progressive Democrats, not just people that have a D next to their name, but people that are actually going to um, kind of advocate for policies that, so suppose, you know, Democrats like to, you know, wave their flag saying we support this stuff. Um, but when it comes time to it, we're not seeing that kind of action. Um, that's changing. Right. In part, I mentioned this in our show on Friday, is that, you know, in part, we see a hollowed out Pennsylvania Democratic Party, which is actually in a weird way is allowing uh, more local races um, to take controls of their campaigns in ways that we haven't seen otherwise. We also see a continued number, uh, continuous victories, um, especially in the Philadelphia area of more progressive candidates um, and those kind of like left progressive candidates maintaining their seats by wide margins. Um, all these are pointing in very, very kind of like positive directions. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, I think about this both and it's like, you know, yes, I mean, like you said, you don't, I mean, playing defense is nice. I would say at this point, playing defense is 100% necessary, right? But, you know, you play defense, like, okay, you block and then you throw a punch, you know? It's like, it's like you just don't block, right? You just don't put your gloves up in front of your face and just and just take the blows, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea. And, you know, we do have, uh, like, a growing number of uh, PA state legislators who are um, pushing the agenda. I mean, we saw Nikhil Saval, for example, um, you know, his stuff on housing has been amazing. 
I mean, taking a conversation that, I mean, again, I don't want to just say it's just him because it certainly won't. He'd be the first person to come out and say, look, it wasn't just just me. There were other there were other, you know, representatives and, and state senators who were behind this stuff. Obviously, coalitions on the ground to people who've been organizing around housing for quite some time. Um, but, you know, he was brought to like literally tears. Right. The fact that they were able to kind of have a meaningful impact. Right. On people that were struggling with housing. Right. I mean, that's real. That's real stuff. And, you know, Nikhil Saval right, is one of the reasons why that happened. <laughs> right. The people who have campaigned for Nikhil Saval, who have organized with Nikhil Saval, who've been on the ground organizing in Philadelphia for years, continue to push on that campaign. We need more of that. Right. I mean, the work that, you know, we go down the list of of, of what kind of um, some progressives in the state have done. And it's really impressive. Right. A lot of it's, you know, again, there's limits to what you can do when you've got that kind of dominant, like Republican control over um, over the over the state houses. But um, we're seeing a disproportional positive impact by those those folks who are elected who actually are advocating for things that people need and want. So. Also, just to echo with what Emily just said of you stand a better chance of getting some GOP voters supporting candidates who are progressive based on issues discussion rather than pointing out the extremists of their own party. I can definitely agree with that with like, you know, a few cases of when I've, you know, just been canvassing recently. Like I talked to one woman who said that she uh, was a vet um, and, you know, is uh, sort of like disabled. She had a, you know, a walker that she was walking around with and she was, you know, telling me of how she felt, you know, like, you know, sort of being like, you know, the vet that's saying, you know, I, I feel I felt better on Trump's America kind of thing, because I felt more respected, like, you know, sort of thing, you know, and then she's talking about her issues in terms of like her health care and such. And then I, you know, just start just saying like, hey, you know, what are your thoughts on like, you know, you know, giving health care to everyone? She's like, yeah, that's great. That would be awesome. And, and, you know, just like having that discussion and like, you know, and bringing up that issue, like just in that way can very much sway some people or you can actually have that conversation, you know, but it really takes those sort of, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, approaches in a fairly, you know, non-confrontational way, you know, and, and mind you, this is someone who was saying that, um, you know, there are too many people coming over the border um, we shouldn't be giving these benefits to these people who are illegally coming over the border, like sort of stuff, you know, but then if I just ask her about like, you know, healthcare, you know, specifically, I, I can potentially get her to, you know, maybe vote that way, you know, and it, it really is that discussion there. Um, another thing that I just want to point out, sort of going back to the abortion uh, rights issue that I find is interesting. Um, there was one day when I was canvassing and I actually saw another canvasser who was a, uh, a, a pro-life canvasser from Susan B. Anthony, a list pro-life yeah, yeah. America. And I, I just found it wild of seeing, you know, there are, you know, some of those folks out, I guess, and, you know, had a, um, had like a door hanger thing, you know, talking about how radical supposedly John Fetterman is on abortion or Josh Shapiro and such. And, you know, on, on the other side of it, it showed, or it just said like, you know, 
you showed one person, you know, and this was like totally fake, but like one person that said like, I'm pro-life and I'm pro-choice. And then it said, but we can agree on reasonable limits on abortion. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, that is not at all the conversation. Like, I spoke to a woman who said, you know, when canvassing that she was like, I'm personally pro-life. And, you know, I had a, a daughter when I was like very young. My parents like allowed me to choose, but I chose, you know, to have the kid. But she was like, and, and this was a woman who was like 80 or 90. And she was like, you know, but I feel like everyone's entitled to that choice. And and I, like, it, it's just wild. And then seeing like that mail, mailer or like door hanger thing in comparison, you know, and, you know, which is exactly why, you know, we need people who are, you know, going and having these conversations with folks and, you know, making sure people are, you know, aware that, you know, this is a big issue, you know, when it comes to Pennsylvania specifically in both of these races and also with local races, too. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, hey, man, listen, I, I appreciate you uh, taking some time out and calling in. Uh, it's uh, it's great. I, I really I really love the whole call-in format. And uh, um, I, I just, you know, I've been looking for ways to, you know, to make it uh, even more streamlined for folks to, to do this. And hopefully that I'm going to be able to do it some more because I'd love to hear from um, more folks for a kind of call-in session. But, uh, man, keep up the fight. Congratulations on what you're, you know, what you've been able to accomplish down there with, uh, you know, the uh, the cancel student or student, well, the lunch debt cancellation that <laughs> yeah. you've been able to uh, accomplish and all the work that's going on. Uh, appreciate you taking time out tonight, man, and uh, I'll, yeah. we'll see you on the flip side. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Oh, you got it, man. Thanks, Nick. Um, and yeah, like, I'd like to hear folks feedback too, as well on, uh, say the call and stuff. Uh, would people like to have that as um, more part of the show? Maybe, uh, once a month being able to kind of, uh, just do a call in session, uh, maybe promote it a little bit more upfront. So people knew that we're going to do the call in. I know that everything was been really last minute on my end, um, kind of, uh, of late. So um yeah be curious what people's thoughts are um you could shoot me an email uh, i could drop notes in uh for tonight and so on um i also want to uh just kind of put this up here too i want to give a shout out to um uh will bunch's book uh will bunch and his book i should say after the ivory tower falls um a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight is going to be echoed in uh will bunch's book uh i love this book You've heard me talk about it before. Um, well worth it. Um, he was just recently on the Majority Report, um, did a great job in the Majority Report. Um, he was on Rick Smith's show, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, um, I, I would definitely check out his book if you can um, for that. The other thing I want to kind of give a brief shout out tonight, if you give me just one sec um, before I call it for the evening. Uh, come on, come on, come on. Here we go. Um, if you head on over to the Bucks County Beacon, uh, the buckscountybeacon.com, um, as you know, the Bucks County Beacon has become one of the most critical um, progressive voices um, in uh, Bucks County and beyond. Um, right now, uh, through the month of September, they've got a goal to raise, raise a chunk of change to help keep the uh, Bucks County Beacon going. And not just going, thriving. It's it's going. That's not even a question, right? Um, it's going like you know, like a bat out of hell. Um, the question is, is how do we go about making sure that um, 
that it's going to continue to grow and thrive. That's really kind of what I'm most interested in <laughs> more than anything else is to making sure that we have this um, kind of amazing resource uh, continuing that we continue to support it. Um, so now through September, they're trying to raise a bunch of money. You can head on over to the buckscountybeacon.com and uh, you can uh, go ahead and there's, hit that little support us button. Um, if you, you're looking for people to commit right now, they're kind of really pushing and see if you get people to commit for 10 bucks a month, right? You think about if you're subscribing to a newspaper, um, you know, this is actually a bargain compared to what you would have to pay if you're just you know, for regular print, um, um, uh, a print publication. This is something that'll make sure that uh, Bucks County Be Beacon will keep going strong. And it's also like a message that we can all send, right? I mean, it's a message that we could send is like, this is the kind of news that we want, right? This is the kind of news that we're willing to support. Um, this is the kind of um, publication that we need more of, right? And that's, we need to support writers, right? <laughs> we need to support uh, like like Cyril, who's been putting all this stuff together, making sure that we're um, kind of, you know, stiffening the backs and supporting the spine of the Bucks County Beacon to ensure that is going to um, continue to grow stronger and stronger by the day. So you can head on over to buckscountybeacon.com. You can hit the little support the beacon button. Um, you become monthly supporter for, you know, five, 10, 15, $20 a month. Um, and um, they're really um, doing some great work there. So you just go buckscountybeacon.com. I'm going to throw it right now here in the show notes if you want to go directly or not show notes the um uh tonight's chat if you want to go right there through a link um to go and kind of support the work that they're doing they got some great pieces out of here and you know like you've seen is that what the bucks county beacon has helped helped us do here too at raging chicken right is to kind of you know build this kind of connection with these folks um with uh the writers that are there is that we've had folks that i've had on the show who have gone on and kind of are writing for the beacon and we've got um kind of writers at the beacon who are publishing there who are coming on the show this is the kind of kind of work that I've been wanting to do in progressive media for quite some time, right? Um, and the more that we build that out, the better, right? The more that we start sharing resources among progressive media groups, um, uh, the better. The more that we can get more eyes on the writers that are doing the kind of critical work that we need, the better. The more that we can cast light on and put a shining spotlight on the community organizations that are doing the kind of like the, you know, the grassroots organizing that are going to um, that are that are having really tangible results in um, building organization and building power here in Bucks County and beyond. I mean, um, can't think of a better place to to put my money in to kind of support the work that's happening at the Beacon, um, in addition to um, helping those organizations on the ground. So, anyways, that's my last plug for the evening. Um, uh, now it's about time that I uh, head on over, make sure I start getting my kids ready for bed and uh, getting myself ready for bed. Because uh, now since it's back to school that, you know, it's, you know, 5 a.m., 5 a.m. wake up time once again. So that's where we go. Uh, anyways, look, I appreciate the discussion. I appreciate the uh, the active chat that we have. Um, as always, uh, thank you, Emily. Thank you, Nick. Uh, you know, thank you, everybody who kind of showed up tonight. I really appreciate it. And uh, share us out. Let everybody know about what we do. And uh, we're going to see you again on Friday. Um, looks like we're going to be back to guests next Monday. 
Um, I've got two irons in the fire right now. Hopefully, one of them is gonna um, gonna uh, come out. If not, we'll you know I've got a, a whole bunch of other ideas, but I want to hear from some of these folks first. I'm gonna try to make sure that I get some local voices, um, candidates that are running for office, organizers on the ground here in Bucks County um, and, and across Pennsylvania who are doing the critical work. We're gonna have some authors that we're gonna be on um, um, this month and some um, more of those folks who are digging into right-wing extremist research and kind of uncovering where, you know, um, the funding and the organization behind uh, the extremist politics, the kind of neo-fascist, neo-confederate, Christian nationalists, whatever the hell you want to call them, um, and how they're kind of infecting kind of our culture and our society and our schools. So there you have it. So for tonight, this is Kevin Mahoney, uh, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I am so pleased that I'm back in the seat tonight. It feels like the right place to be, even though I'm still pretty exhausted from the first couple of weeks of school. So it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, stay tuned for info on what we're doing next week. I hope to see you Friday for our Friday Politics Roundup. Until then... Keep it going. Keep up the fight. See you in the streets. See you.